I would like to also say, just before I start, we have a special guest in the room. You might have noticed him. His name is Russ up the back. Uh, last week I said I was going to get in touch with lots of pastors and ministers in town. I've been doing that. And first cab off the rank uh, is Russ Grinter, who's had a bit of previous experience with the CU. He's going to share a few words over supper about how we can stay on track with Jesus in our life. Uh, because that's what we're doing the next seven weeks. Uh, we're looking at this book of Thessalonians and we're thinking, how as Christians can we stay on track? Uh, there's lots of paths that we can take, areas that, that we can, you know, they can divert us away from sticking with Jesus. Uh, so these last seven weeks of turn, that's all you've got left. I don't know if you knew that. Seven weeks to go and then you've got SWAT back and then you've got exams. Is that right? I'm pretty sure that's right. Did you say it's not right? No. Week six. Ah, yeah, oh, but this counts. Today counts. I'm counting today. Yeah, it gets confusing. <laughs> anyway, we want to be thinking before we go on holidays how we can stay on track with Jesus as Christians, how we can live at uni as Christians, and not be led astray, not follow down different paths. One of the great joys that that I have uh, in my job as a chaplain and CU staff worker, is actually seeing nights like this. You know, it's week six now, semester two, assessments are piling on, and you guys are still coming, right? Coming to gather around God's word because it shows that you're staying on track with Jesus. You haven't given up. You're still going with it. Uh, so let me encourage you. That is good. Keep doing that. That brings me much joy. One of the the sadder things, I think probably the saddest thing that I experience in my job, is actually seeing the very opposite of that. You know, at the start of the year, you see lots of people are keen to meet together as Christians, come along at O-Week, yeah, sign up on the table. And then as time goes on, uni life gets hard. Uh, worldly life gets tempting. And people, little by little, make decisions that lead them away from Jesus. Uh, they take a track that in the long run leads them away from God. Uh, from what I've observed, often it's little decisions. Uh, decisions that in the moment you'd think, oh, that's probably not a big deal. Uh, but it's actually those little decisions which in the long run actually do make a very big difference. Decisions like things that you might decide to do so that you fit in with a particular friendship group. I'm not going to speak up about my faith because I want to fit in with that friendship group. I'm going to do that thing which I ordinarily wouldn't do as a Christian, but I'm going to do it because I want to fit in with that, set, with that friendship group. Sometimes it's decisions to go further than you ordinarily would in a relationship. Uh, sometimes it's decisions not to meet together as Christians uh, because you're really focused on your academic career or getting a really good transcript, things like that. Uh, there can be all these little decisions which in the long run can lead us away from sticking with Jesus. They can take us on a different path, a different track. So these seven weeks, these last few weeks, uh, they're actually designed to help you uh, stay on track. Uh, put some big building blocks in place uh, so that you can, you know, building blocks almost that kind of fence you in so that they remind you, I can't go there because of this, and I don't want to go there because of this. They keep you stay on track as a Christian. Now, that's what these seven weeks 
before. And you might have noticed that we're actually going to work our way through the letter of Thessalonians. Paul wrote this letter to this little church in Thessalonica. And I think this is the most helpful letter for helping us stay on track as Christians. It's helpful because that is actually precisely the reason that Paul wrote this letter in the first place. Uh, the reading that, that Jared did for us in Acts 17, uh, you would have saw there that how the church in Thessalonica started. It started as the Apostle Paul, he went there and he preached the gospel. He went there with a message, right? Uh, he told the people there, the Jews and the Greeks, he told them about this guy called Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, a Jesus who suffered and died on a cross, Jesus who suffered and died and then rose from the dead. That's, that was the message. He went and he told him about this Jesus guy. And he said, Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. He's the king. He's God's king. He's the king that God would send to defeat our greatest enemies of Satan, sin and death. That was the message that Paul took. Paul explained to them things about Jesus, how he is now God's king. And he will one day return and he will reign over all things. You can kind of imagine it, can't you? Paul walking into that place, a little bit like our campus time. You walk into the SU and you think, who's going to believe this? It's a bit of a wild message. A guy, a carpenter, died and rose for the sins of the world, coming back again, the hope of the world. But you know, back then, some people believed. Uh, that's what it said in Acts 17. Some of the Jews believed, and a great many of the Greeks believed, as well as a number of women in the town. See, some, and they actually heard this message of the gospel, the message of sins forgiven, of conscience cleansed, as the hymn says, of death defeated, of life without end, eternal life. They heard it and they received it with joy. They became what became to be known as Christians. Uh, but others, back then, well, they hated it, right? Uh, they were jealous, it says in Acts chapter 17 and verse 5. They were, they were jealous that Paul, as he brought this message, he was actually getting a pretty good following. People were starting to get caught up with this message. So what did they do, these people who were jealous? Well, after Paul had been there for just three weeks, three of the Lord's days, it says, so three Sundays, or it could have been Saturdays, I don't know if anyone really knows, um, Three weeks he'd been in the town preaching the gospel. And so what these men did was they gathered some other men, some wicked men, they formed a mob, and they drove Paul and his companions out of town <coughs> with violence. The Thessalonians, you see, this little group of Christians, this little church who believed the gospel, they had three weeks worth of Bible teaching. And then... Their minister, their preacher, their teacher was driven away, taken out, had to leave. And if you think about that, if some of you have been Christians for a long time, uh, you've had more than three weeks of training in what the gospel is. Uh, you've got to remember back then they didn't have the LMS. They couldn't log on and watch their, their lectures, you know, at 10 o'clock at night after you've watched whatever else you want to watch on TV. Uh, they didn't have, they didn't even have the New Testament, right? It wasn't written yet. So what do these guys need? Well, they need a letter, right? 
They need some instruction because they've only had three weeks worth of instruction. They need some training. So Paul writes this letter. Why? Well, to help them keep on track. To help them stay on track, on the right track as Christians. And friends, I think that this letter, though it was written to Thessalonians almost 2,000 years ago, it is just so helpful for us today. Uh, God's word is as relevant now today as the day it was written down. So today, uh, you might see on your sheet there in front of you is a little outline. Uh, what we see is that this first chapter, it actually falls into three sections, three R's. I don't know about you, this could be a generational thing. I was wondering if this is a generational thing or not. Uh, when I was at school, uh, my dad used to say, if you want to... If you want to be good at school, if you want to get a good report card, you've got to master the three R's. Anyone know what the three R's are? Oh, yes, yeah, so that's not a generational thing. Everyone knows that. Reading, writing, and arithmetic. Cool. They're not even R's, right? Only one of them. Yeah, one of them. One out of three. That's not even a pass. It's like 33%. You'd have to repeat the subject for that. Yeah, arithmetic. That's that's good, Terry. Yeah, reading, writing, and arithmetic. Today we're not looking at reading, writing, and arithmetic, uh, as you would be happy to know. Now, what we see the three R's that this first chapter falls into is that the Thessalonians. The first thing is they get a remarkable report. That's the first R. They get, Paul writes to them. Timothy's been and he's visited them and he's reported back. And in those first few verses, you see, they get a remarkable report of how they've been going. They've been staying on track. They've been doing really, really well. And the reason they've been doing really well is because of two things, two very fundamental things that start this letter. They received the gospel and they renounced their idols. They received the gospel and they renounced their idols. There's the three R's, uh, but before we get there, have a look just at this very... First verse. Now, 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 1, Paul writes a little greeting. Uh, it's easy for us, I think, sometimes to just skip over this. Go, oh, yeah, you know, Paul's just writing his name and he's saying hello and you, we don't think about it. But let me, let me have a little think through this before we get into it. So Paul says, Paul, Silvanus, some of you might have Silas in your translation, Paul, Silvanus and Timothy to the church of Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. It's an interesting little verse, I think, a little greeting. Uh, this letter, what we see there, is it's, let, it's written by these three guys, the Apostle Paul and his buddies Silvanus and Timothy. It's written to the church in the township or the city of Thessalonica. And they're described there as being in God the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. What does it mean that they are in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, I think it's just very simple. It means that they are in right relationship with God the Father. Uh, they are in right relationship because they actually have Jesus Christ as their Lord, as their King. Now, that's the first thing. But the, the very ending of the greeting, I think, is most important. Uh, See, Paul ends with these two words which actually sum up the whole of the gospel message, grace and peace. Grace to you and peace are two words which, you know, they sum up so much about the Christian faith. 
And what is grace? It's not rhetorical, anyone. What is grace? An un- unmerited favor. Yep, an undeserved gift, something like that. So it's something we get that we don't deserve. Uh, what is this undeserved gift or unmerited favor that Christians have? What is it, Lucy? Salvation through Jesus. Yeah. That's the fact that Jesus came into this world, died on that cross for our sins. That's the grace, right? That's the cross of Jesus. We didn't deserve that, but we get it anyway. And when you think about it, what did Jesus' death achieve? Anyone? Peace with God. Peace with God. It achieved peace with God. When Jesus died on that cross... The wrath, the punishment that we deserve for our sin, that separation from God, because we'd walked away from Him, that hostility, it is gone. Because of the grace of God in giving giving us His Son, we now have peace with God. We can call Him Father. He loves us. See, peace is the result of grace. Grace and peace, they sum up. The Christian message. It's good not to just skip over that little greeting. It actually sets the tone for so much that will happen. And I just reckon, you know, if imagine that you're this little church in Thessalonica. I know that's hard to do because you've never been there. It's a bit weird to imagine those sort of things. But imagine, you know, you're a little group of Christians and your teachers have been kicked out by the authorities. How would you be feeling? You'd be a little bit shaky, wouldn't you? Is this really the real deal? Is this what I'm really going to put my hope in? I reckon this first line, this little greeting, I reckon it just gives the Thessalonians a real sense of confidence, doesn't it? Uh, They're trying to work out if they're on the right track, and what do they hear? They hear that they've received grace from God. They, They hear that they have peace with the God who made this world. They they know that they can call him Father. Have that wonderful relationship with God through Jesus. I just think this would give them a real confidence that they're actually on the right track. That it'd show them that they've actually put their hope in the right thing. Oh, we had a, we had a day off yesterday. Uh, I've got two kids and a wife, obviously, Laura. Um, we had a day off yesterday. Went up to Achuka. Went for a little drive, and one of the things that happens as we go for drives at the moment is we listen to a guy called Colin Buchanan. Some of you might have heard of him. He's a Aussie Christian songwriter. He's great if you really want to learn some Bible and drill that into your kids. Just it's actually really good for me as well. I learn a lot of things <laughs> by listening to Colin. There's a great song. We listened to it probably about a thousand times yesterday. Maybe not, but you know, Josie, our daughter, she's two and a half, and when she's onto something she likes, you know, she's just that song, Dad, that song, you know, she wants the same one over and over. So we were listening to this song. Uh, it's called The Greatest Treasure. Let me just show you a few of the lines. Um, it's on Colin's favourites. Uh, it goes like this. Uh, the greatest treasure in the whole wide world is peace with God. It's the only treasure that will never fade. Even death can't take it away. The greatest treasure in the whole wide world is peace with God. We've been trying to teach... Josie what treasure is. She doesn't quite get it at the moment. You know, you've got to kind of unpack words for kids when they're only two and a half. So at the moment, you ask Josie, you say, Josie, what's treasure? 
And she'll say lollies and snakes. And by that she means snake lollies, not real snakes. Although she does have little toy snakes, which are kind of a little bit weird. Um, lollies and snakes, they're treasure for her, right? So when she's singing along at this so- with this song, she's believing that peace with God, knowing God as Father, is actually better than lollies. Better than snake lollies even. And I mean, in her world, that is amazing. It's kind of cute. But I reckon, I reckon if we really believe that, uh, if we really believe that the greatest treasure in the whole wide world is having peace with God, then we'd stay on track, wouldn't we? We'd stop looking elsewhere, wouldn't we? If we really did believe that the greatest treasure that we could ever get is having this peace with God through Jesus, that it's not fitting in with the crowds at uni, that it's not getting that relationship, that it's not getting those amazing marks at the end, but it's having peace with God. It's not getting any of those things that are going to fade away and ultimately don't satisfy us. It's peace with God. If we believe that, if we live that out, well, that's what the Thessalonians did. That's what they believed. And what we see is that they, they get a remarkable report card from Paul. Have a look here in these first few verses, verses 2 to 4. Because here in these verses we see Paul give this report on how the Thessalonians have been going, and it is simply remarkable. Paul here in these verses, he tells them how he's been praying for them. In verse 2 he says, We always thank God for all of you, remembering you constantly in our prayers. And then in verse 3 he actually recalls three very impressive things that the Thessalonians have been doing. See there in verse 3, he says, We recall in the presence of God our Father your work of faith, your labour of love, and the endurance of hope you have in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Thessalonians, you see, they had those three great virtues of Christianity, faith, hope, and love. But they weren't just virtues, they weren't just character traits. They actually flowed out into action. Uh, Their faith in God meant that they actually did good works for God. Their love for God meant that they laboured to love one another and everyone else. They made that something they worked towards. And their hope in God, well, it meant that they endured. They actually kept going even when they were persecuted for their faith. What we see in these verses is that Paul is so thankful, it brings him so much joy that these Thessalonians are living such good lives for God that they're staying on track. He can see, actually, he can see that they are genuine in their faith, in their hope and their love. He he can see so much that in verse 4 he actually thanks God for electing them, for choosing them out of his love. Their salvation, you see, it's actually evident by their works. Their love and their hope. It's a remarkable report that Paul gives. It seems to me that this church in Thessalonica is a model to be imitated. Uh, One of the big things I think we can learn from these verses uh, is that not only is our faith, our belief, to be visible, but we actually have to work hard at our faith, don't we? Isn't that what we learn from these verses? Are these words, uh, the words that you, you see used here, you know, that 
work, labour and endurance. I mean, none of that's just kind of sitting back on the couch and thinking, yeah, it's all going to be fine. These are, these are action words. These are things that we do. That it's actually a responsibility from our end to work hard on our faith, to keep labouring to make God number one, to keep on the same path, on the right track with him. We need to work at it. I mean, endurance is hard work, isn't it? I remember, you know, some of you guys have been at athletics carnivals lately. I remember when, when I was at an athletics carnival as a kid, the race I loved was a 100-metre sprint. Not because, I lo- not because I was good at it. I was no 11-second kind of man. I was no, you know, I'd be, I, I don't know, I might be famous if I was that or whatever. The reason I loved it was because it was over in about 16 seconds. You know, you get out there, line up, done. Sit down, have a Gatorade for the rest of the day. The, cross-country was a killer, wasn't it? Endurance. I hated the cross-country. In fact, one year, I actually jumped in a river and floated down and I got in a fair bit of trouble for that. Don't do that. But I hated the cross-country. Endurance. It's hard work. Sometimes you feel like you just don't want to keep going, don't you? You ever think that with a Christian life? What's the point? Do I really have to endure? Do I have to work hard? Do I have to keep... Going, I mean, it looks so easy to just drift off and maybe follow these worldly paths. That looks like a bit of fun right now, doesn't it? Up the river. Up the creek, maybe. <laughs> it's so easy to chase worldly treasures right now. It's easy. It's hard work to be a Christian. Why would you, so why would you do it? Why would you stick with God? Well, it seems to me it's because you believe the gospel. It's because you believe that there's only one treasure that's truly worth it in the end. There's only one thing in this life that will never fade. There's only one thing that death can't take away, and that is peace with God through Jesus, eternal life found in Him. It's only, you see, when you truly believe the gospel, that good news that Jesus died for your sins and rose for your hope, it's only when you believe it that you will work for it that you'll endure, that you'll labour, that you'll live like the Thessalonians do. See, have a look at the Thessalonians in these next few verses, verses 5 to 8, because there we see that they received and they believed the gospel. In verses 5 to 6, Paul says this, he says, For the gospel, it did not come to you in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit and with much assurance. You know what kind of men we were among you for your benefit? And you became imitators of us and of the Lord when, in spite of severe persecution, you welcomed the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. So when the Thessalonians, when they heard that word of the gospel, that Jesus died for their sins and arose for their hope, they believed it. Not just as mere words, not just with their minds, but... The Holy Spirit came with that word and he changed their minds and he changed their hearts. So much so that even when they were persecuted, when people were throwing rocks at them, when people wanted to shut their churches down, when their lives were threatened, they, like Paul, they didn't give up. They endured even when they suffered. Why did they do that? Well, it was because they believed 
They believed the gospel that even if they died for their faith, they wouldn't lose anything. They wouldn't lose any treasure because their treasure was to come. In fact, if they died for their faith, if they suffered for their faith, their treasure would actually be revealed. They would see God in his glory. They would know him as Father, even more so than we know him now. See, the Thessalonians says there that they became imitators of us, they, they became imitators of Paul, Paul who kept preaching and believing the gospel when he was being thrown out of towns. They actually became imitators of the Lord Jesus. See, they're actually following the example of Jesus, aren't they? Jesus, who you might remember, the writer of Hebrews says, for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. See, the message of the gospel, it is that Jesus, for the joy, for the treasure that was set before him, he endured the cross, he died. He took the shame of our sin on his shoulders. He bore the weight of our guilt, our death. He paid for it. He took it for us so that we could have peace with God. See, that's the gospel. And the Thessalonians, well, they believed it, and it changed them. It made them live with a hope in God, not a hope in the world around them. As a result, in verse 7, they became an example to the believers around them. These young Christians because they truly had their hope in God, because they didn't live for worldliness around them, they actually became an example to the other believers around them in Macedonia and in Archaea. It had a ripple effect. You know when you like throw a, throw a stone in a lake and you see those little ripples just kind of go out and out and out? Everything it touches it has an effect on. That's what the lives of the Thessalonians were like. So have a look there in verse 8. Verse 8 says, For the Lord's message, it rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place that your faith in God has gone out. Can I just say, to encourage you, don't ever think that because you're young, you can't have an amazing effect on the people around you. The Thessalonians, you see, they clung to God in spite of suffering, They were very young in their faith. And yet the other Christians in Macedonia, in Archaea, they looked, they saw the Thessalonians, they saw the way they lived, and it spurred them on to live like they did. When other Christians saw the Thessalonians taking their faith so seriously, it actually made them take their faith more seriously too. You know, sometimes I think, we can slip into this mode as Christians that we'll kind of be cool Christians. You know, we'll, we'll have a faith, but we won't really live it out in public. And we justify it, right? We justify it a little bit like this. We say, I'm going to try and fit in uh, with my friends, uh, and that'll be good, uh, because they'll actually start to like me. I'll fit in with them, and, and when they start to like me, when I'm part of the group... Uh, then they'll actually see something really good. They'll see that Christians aren't weird. They'll see that, yeah, you can talk to a Christian. 
And then eventually, after after a bit of time, you know what will happen? Well, well, they'll ask me about my faith, right? That's how I'm going to do evangelism. That's how I'm going to let the world know about Jesus. You ever fall into that type of Christianity? Fit into the crowd? Kind of relationship evangelism? Become like them? They'll like me and then they'll ask me about my faith? Seems to me that Thessalonians are just the exact opposite of that here, aren't they? Thessalonians, they look at, you know, the people around them, they look at the Thessalonians and they know that they're not part of the crowd. They know that they are radically different. They, they love and they serve and they act and they suffer in ways for the gospel, for God, in ways that are actually evident to all. It speaks, their actions speak louder than words. And here in verse 8, you hear that, it says, the Lord's message rang out, not only in Macedonia and Archaea, but in every place that their faith has gone out. John Piper, uh, the American preacher, he asks this question, I think it's a great question. He says, why don't people ask us about our hope? The answer is probably that we look as if we hope in the very same things they do. Our lives don't look like they are on the Calvary Road, stripped down for sacrificial love, serving others with the sweet assurance that we don't need to be rewarded in this life. The Thessalonians, they received the gospel. They believed it. And you could see it. You could see it. Because finally, third point, they renounced their idols. They renounced all other idols and they lived for God. In verses 9 to 10, it's the last two verses of the chapter, Paul explains how the Thessalonians, how they turned to God and they left their idols behind. They turned to serve the living and the true God. What's an idol? You might ask, what is an idol? Well, an idol is anything that captures your mind and your heart more than God does. An idol is anything that you treasure more than God. Uh, Tim Keller, he writes this, he says, An idol is whatever you look at and you say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning. If I have that, then I'll know I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. I wonder what that thing is for you. Is it God? Is God your treasure? Is God the the place where you find your value and your security? Or are you going down maybe some other tracks in life to find those sorts of things? Perhaps, Perhaps you look for value and security in what your friends think, in what your friends say about you, trying to get approval from your friends. Uh, If you are, then there's a danger there, isn't there? The danger is that you'll always be trying to please them. You'll actually change the way you live. You'll be worried about things you say or might not say. You'll be worried about things you, how you look and all those sorts of other things. You'll change the way you live simply to fit in. Maybe you find your value and your security in your grades. In achieving well. If you are, then there's a danger there, isn't there? 
You'll always be stressing about it. You'll give all your time to it. You'll, you'll not prioritise meeting with God's people around God's word because you're trying to find your value there. Or maybe it's, maybe it's in having a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Maybe that's what makes you feel valued and safe. It could be anything, right? I don't actually know what it is that makes you feel significant and secure. But what I do know is that if it's not God, then it's an idol. And if it's not God, then it'll let you down and ultimately it'll lead you into sin. It'll make you compromise your faith. It'll lead you off track. Thessalonians, what did they do? Well, verse 9, they turned to God from idols. And when they heard that amazing message, Jesus died on that cross for them, and that he rose for their hope, they left their idols behind. And you know, they did that. They did that because they (coughs) saw in the gospel that Jesus actually gives them what idols never truly can. They saw uh, in Jesus, in his death for them on the cross, they saw the very things that they were looking for in those idols all along. See that love that you might be looking for in relationships? That sense of being loved that might actually lead you down the track of having sex with people you know you probably shouldn't, or even looking up pornography. That sense of love that you're looking for Jesus actually does far better than that. He says, do you know how much I love you? I love you so much I died for you. That's rock solid love, isn't it? That's, that's love that's not going to walk out in the morning. That's real love. Not love on a screen. Jesus, you see, he laboured to the point of death to show you how much he loves you and he treasures you. That sense of acceptance you've been looking for in friendships, in the way you've been trying to change to fit in with people, Jesus says, you know, he says, when he, when, you, when he dies on that cross, he says to you, I accept you. He says, I know absolutely everything about you, and I still accept you. I love you, I forgive you. Find your sense of belonging and acceptance in him. That sense of security you've been looking for could be in finding in money, in academic success, could be in relationships. Wherever it is you're finding security, Jesus says, you can be safe with me for eternity. I rose from the dead. That's the proof. Even death can't rob you of what I can give you. That's security, isn't it? See, Jesus, in his death for us, he gives us what we actually look for. In our idols. He actually shows us that all other paths are hopeless. They all lead to sin and death. The Thessalonians, they turned from their idols because they turned to Jesus. They found their hope in him. That's why the Thessalonians stayed on track. That's why they did so well. Because they they lived lives for Jesus as they waited for him to return. They did that because he was their only hope. He was the treasure that satisfied them. It's that little song that Josie sings. It goes like this. It says, you can live for happiness, we can live for stuff, but it's all going to fade away. 
The biggest house, the flashiest car, it's all going to fade away. Earthly treasures, they're like the morning mist. They're all going to fade away. Yeah, the greatest treasure in the whole wide world is peace with God. It's the only treasure that will never fade. Even death can't take it away. What are you living for? Have you renounced those idols? Have you turned to Jesus? Friends, be like the Thessalonians. Make Jesus your treasure. You want to stay on track for Jesus? You want to live for him in this world? Then believe the gospel. Believe it in your mind. Believe it in your hearts. And live it out. Turn from your idols. Make Jesus your treasure and your prize. And you'll be surprised the ripple effect that that will have on the world around us. Let me pray. Our Heavenly Father, we we are so sorry for the times when we have sinned against you, for the times when we, as Christians, have sought to find our treasure, our satisfaction, our pleasure in other places and not in you. But Father, we thank you so much for your Son's death for us on that cross. But there we know that all our sin has been taken away. That we no longer need to fear that day when we give an account for our lives. Because we know that we can call you Father. We have peace with you. Because Christ died for us. So Father, I just pray that you would help us to believe the gospel. Help us to believe it so much that we live it out. Help us to have a faith that flows out into good works. So a love that labours for others, for the lost. I just pray for each one of us in this room that our hope will endure until we die or until Christ returns. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen.